1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm going to start reading at verse 11. I'm going to read down through verse 16. What man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself judges no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The title of the message tonight is, He that is spiritual judges all things. So this is going to be a very judgmental message. Not really. But you know, if we're going to be spiritual people, we have to be people of judgment. Which, by the way, you know, the whole of the world says, will accuse us of being judgmental. They're very judgmental. They are very judgmental. And we'll see that tonight. But anyway, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your word tonight. <clears throat> I pray that you give us understanding, help us to be people of wise discernment and wise judgment, uh, not to judge motives, but to judge righteous judgment, uh, even as our Lord instructed us and exemplified in his own life, and help us have understanding of these truths. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, Jesus said in John seven twenty four, judge not according to appearance. Of course, judging by appearance would be sort of like judging a person's motives. <clears throat> but judge righteous judgment. The word judged, the word where it says judgeth or is judged of no man, speaks of to estimate, to determine the excellent or defects of any person or thing. So it's sort of like an examination. Uh, <clears throat> and the Bible says here that it, that the spiritual judgeth all things. In fact, Proverbs says that it is joy to the just to do judgment. Joy to the just to do judgment. Now, so uh, when we're speaking about a spiritual person, I want to notice several things. Of course, a, a, a spiritual person, uh, a spiritual person does not submit to a to the world's judgment. Um. <clears throat> a spiritual man or a spiritual person does not examine themselves by the world's standard. If you notice again in verse 15, it says, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul will re reiterate this, where he says in verse 1, Let a man so account of us, as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, moreover is required in stewards and a man be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. Now don't stop there. Let's look at the next verse. For I know nothing by myself, yet I am not hereby justified but he that judgeth me is the Lord. So, so a spiritual person doesn't 
submit to an examination or I shouldn't, the, 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 the submission isn't a good thing. He doesn't, he doesn't justify himself or judge himself whether he's good or bad by man's standard. He doesn't examine himself by a man's standard. You know, Paul will go on to say in second, in the second epistle to Corinthians, in second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, you know, talking about man judging by man, and he'll say this, we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves. So if you're going to measure yourself or examine yourself or judge yourself by someone else, some other man, he says, measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So if you're looking to examine yourself, or judge yourself whether you are good or whether you are evil, whether you're righteous or not righteous, don't compare yourself with another man. Because in every man you're going to find there's some faults, there's some sin. And you be able to justify your own sin by comparing yourself to another person, to another human being. No. You know, so the, a spiritual man does not rest in or trust in man's judgment of him alone. In fact, he would he, he tells us here in chapter 2, in verses 11 and 14, For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of which man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. So the natural, and, and, and he explains that in verse 14, where he says the natural man. So we're talking about unsaved man here. Now an unsaved man cannot rightly examine or judge you in your relationship with God. He can't do it. Why? Because he natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, for they are foolish on him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned or spiritually investigated out or examined. You know, even Jesus said John 3, verse 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see, that is comprehend or understand the kingdom of God. So it's impossible for for the natural for an unsaved man to understand uh, truths or uh, spiritual truth, uh, and he gives an example of that in John chapter eight when he's speaking to the Pharisees, and he says to them in John eight verse forty three, "Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word." Now, this was a heart problem, so they were not born again, so they couldn't really understand what he was trying to teach them. Just as Nicodemus said, you know, Nicodemus was, was looking at, is looking at Jesus while he's saying, you must be born again. Nicodemus said, how, how can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Of course, he wasn't comprehending what Jesus said. He's, Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit of the spirit. Marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. And he explained what it means to be born again, born of the spirit, not born of the flesh. And, and Nicodemus, being a very religious man, he couldn't, couldn't, couldn't grasp that. And this is the way the Pharisees are. He says, even because you cannot hear my word, you're, you're of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there was no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? 
He that is of God, here it is, he that is of God heareth God's word. He that is of God heareth God's word. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. So they couldn't comprehend God's word because they were not of God. They didn't have a spiritual birth. They weren't born again. So a spiritual man does not submit himself or examine himself by man's standard. Actually, he has a higher standard than that, as we're going to see. Uh, you know, Saul was one, you know, the children, I'm not, I'm sorry, the children of Israel were, were often compared themselves with other people around them. You remember in 1 Samuel 8, 20, they came to Samuel and said, uh, uh, you give us a king. That we may be like all the nations. That our king may judge us and go out before us and fight about us. So, so they were, they were comparing themselves with the other nations around, the heathen pagan nations around them who had kings. And they said, look, you know, you're getting old and your son's not, you know, they're, they're not like you. So could you give us a king like all the other nations? They were comparing themselves. They were not spiritual. But the spiritual person submits himself to the examination of God. A spiritual person submits himself to the examination of God. I want to notice several things here. First of all, uh, he submits himself to the examination of God by the testimony of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God uh, when the word is confirmed as we hear it. You know, in, in verse 12, he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You know, God wants you to know the truth. Notice he says, that are freely given to us of God. See, the world doesn't begin to comprehend spiritual truth. It's described in verse 9 as, as is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man, talking about the natural man, the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Verse 10. So, so we, we submit ourselves to God's examination or God's judgment by allowing the testimony of the indwelling Holy Spirit uh, to confirm His Word when we hear it. Now what that means is, when we hear truth, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. What's it mean to bear witness to? Well, if you were to go to court, one of the things you always want to get for your court case in your defense is witnesses. And you'll get... You know, put on the stand, the witness stand, and they'll be asked, you'll be asked to give your testimony of the, of the events. And, and, and it's always good if you can have some witnesses to come along and bear witness to your testimony. In other words, they confirm what you said as truth. Well, that's what the Spirit of God does. Romans 8, 16 says the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. So he comes along, the Spirit of God, who indwells us if we're born again, lives within us, and when we hear truth, if we're yielded to him, we're seeking truth, and we hear truth, the Spirit of God is like that other witness that says, that's true, that's true, that's true. That is truth. 
There was a man got saved years ago. I know this man pretty well. He got saved years ago. His his brother is a Pentecostal preacher. You know, into the tongues and all that kind of stuff. And, he, and his brother, he, he believes his brother is saved, but anyway, his his brother, you know, was always encouraging him to get to 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 get into tongues and all that. And so so this man, he, he got truly born again. So he wants to have everything, his desire is to have everything that God wants from him. He sincerely desired that. So so he he you know he had a, this trip up north. His, his brother was in Maine at the time, and he actually uh, took vacation, went to see his brother who hadn't seen in a while, and went to his church. And you know they did their thing and they said did all this gibberish and all this stuff. And he said, and I, I'm he said I'm sitting on the front pew and I, and I asked the Lord, Lord, if this is of you and this is what you want me to have, give it to me. But if not, and he said. I never got it. He said, I was open to it, but I only wanted it if it was the Lord's will. See, the Lord the Lord didn't bear witness to this is the truth. You need to embrace it. You know, the Lord will bear witness to the truth. He'll also bear witness to that which is false. If we're yielded to the Spirit. You know, John 7, 17 says this, if any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine. Whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. In other words, Jesus is, saying, Jesus is speaking that in that verse there. and he's, What he's saying is, look, if any man has a desire, a sincere desire to know the truth and do the will of God, God will reveal it to him. And, and God will show him if, it's, if, it's, if I'm speaking independently of the Father, if I'm telling you the truth of the You'll know it if you have a willingness to do it. See, the part of the problem with the Pharisees was the reason they didn't hear was because they didn't have a willingness to do it. But see, a spiritual person allows the the Spirit of God to bear witness of their spirit that this is the truth. In John chapter 7, and verses 37 through 39, the Bible there says, In that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, which the they that believe on him should receive. Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified, or hasn't been resurrected from the dead. So Jesus is saying the Spirit of God would come and dwell those who would believe on Him, you know, dwell us, and so from and so from within, from within would come this witness to the truth and power of God. And we know that after the resurrection, the, the resurrection of Christ, when He was glorified, did not the disciples boldly and unashamedly bear witness to the resurrection and with great power? They bore witness to the truth. It was the Spirit of God bearing witness within them. And so, uh, there's this testimony of the indwelling Holy Spirit that's confirmed by the Word when we hear it. Secondly, the spiritual person examines themselves by the Word of God. Examines themselves by the Word of God. 
You know, it isn't that a spiritual person doesn't judge himself. Paul said, I judge not myself, the Lord judges me. In other words, I judge myself by the Lord, by the Word of God. In, in the verse 13 of our text, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, it says, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but what the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual with spiritual. And then again in verse 15, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judgeth no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So where do we get the mind of Christ? Is it not in the word of the Lord? In the Bible. That's where we get the mind of Christ. That's how we know the mind of Christ. He's given us, it, 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 given his, his mind, God's mind is revealed in his word. And it's where we compare spiritual things with spiritual. Comparing scripture with scripture. And so a spiritual man then submits himself to the examination of himself by the word of God. In Romans 8.13, the Bible says, For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. The word mortify there is, is, is a metaphor, which it means to make die. So if you, if you, it means to make die, to render extinct, or render it inactive. So, so the idea is we to, we're to render inactive the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the body, like I said this morning, of dying to self, and, and we allow the Spirit of God to, to examine us and to change us. And so a spiritual person is actively judging, examining themselves by the Word of God, being yielded to the, and submissiveness to the Spirit of God to bring their manner of life, their conduct, their actions, their attitudes into conformity with Christ. You know, sometimes we call that growth. It's the same principle. You know, we, when you have children, what's, what's the responsibility of parents to children? It's to train them up in the way of the Lord. Well, a lot of that training is correcting wrong things. And instruction in right things. So a parent, a godly parent is, you know, not being not being critical of their children, but does examine their children's actions and attitudes on a daily basis. Cuz cuz literally what you're to do is to correct out of them that wicked, vile, sinful nature. Well, you can't get the nature out. But to bring it, to learn, to, to teach them to put it into subjection, to not yield to it. You know, the reason we have so many lawless people in our world today is because they've never had that driven out of them as children. They've never learned to submit. You know, you see them at Walmart telling their parents what to do. <laughs> but a spiritual person is one who who allows the Lord to examine them, to judge them, to correct them. You know, this is a constant desire they always have. You know, as, as the Bible says of the Lord Jesus, it was always His desire to please the Lord, that He would please the Father in all things. 
You know, God does this through His churches and through preaching of the Word of God. And I want you to follow me here. 1 Timothy 3.15 1 Timothy 3.15 <clears throat> says, But if I tarry long, thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself. In the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So the, he says the house of God, the church, is the pillar and ground of the truth. Uh, it's the source of truth. And, and, and uh, Titus tells us in Titus chapter 1, well, actually it was Apostle Paul writing to Titus, who was a pastor, and he's instructing Titus how to pastor. He's giving him pastoral instructions. Titus, this is what you need to do. Paul, an apostle, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, and hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, hath in these due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, my own son, out of the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou should have set in order the things that are wanting. So there's some things that are out of order at Crete. And Paul's writing to Titus and telling him, look, God's manifested, his word is manifested through preaching. In other words, it's explained, it's taught through preaching the word of God. And, and which has been committed to, to me, and I'm passing on to you, so you need to go and set in order the things that are wanting. You need to ordain elders in every sitting as I appointed thee. And he gives a description for the elders. And then he says in verse 10, there are many unruler and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply. You're to correct these people that are in error. You're You're to preach the word of God. You're to interpret the scriptures and apply it to life so that they can apply it to their lives. You know, this is, this is what this whole epistle is about. He says, rebuke them, sharp, they may be sound in the faith, neither not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men to turn from the truth. Uh, if you drop down to chapter 2, and then he, he gives a, a, a list, you might say, that covers every age group that exists. Verse 1 says, speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men may be sober, grave, temperate, sound in the faith, and charity and patience. Aged women likewise that to be in behavior is become with holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. They may teach young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, and doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity, sound speech that cannot be uttered, cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you, exhort servants. So he goes through, you know, uh, young, old men, old women, young women, uh, young men, then to servants. How you ought to conduct yourself. This is what preaching is supposed to do. 
The truth is to be manifested through preaching of the Word of God. So, you know, and he goes through this all the way to chapter 3. Then he says in chapter 3, verse 1, put them in mind to be subject to principalities. So they were talking about obeying the authorities of the land. Uh, powers by magistrates to be ready to every good work. And again, a spiritual person examines himself in the light of all these things by the Word of God, through the preaching of the Word of God, as the, as the, as the, you know, it's a passive responsibility to explain the scriptures, make the interpretation, apply it to everyday practical living, whereby we can examine our living and endeavor to change and grow. That's the purpose. But you know, there must be a willingness. A willingness to yield to the Spirit of truth. You know, this is true even in the Old Testament. Hosea 12.13 says this, And by a prophet the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet was he preserved. Could you imagine what would have happened to Israel if Moses wouldn't have been in the picture? God was ready to destroy him several times. Just destroy him. It was Moses that intervened. See, God led his people... By a prophet. You know, Revelation 1 and 2 tells us that the pastors are the angels. Doesn't mean we're angelic. That just means messenger. But they are the messengers to the churches. Now that's a very serious responsibility. But they are the messengers of the churches. They're responsible to give the, the churches the word of the truth. A word of truth. They are responsible to give the, to the churches the Lord's Word to explain and, 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 and uh, apply the Lord's Word to everyday life. And Jesus said in John 12, 47, 48, If any man hear my words, hear my words, and believe not, I judge him not. Came not to judge the world, but save the world. But he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken, so the same shall judge him the last day. Hey, if you don't receive the preached word, you're going to be judged for it. Yeah, Paul told the Thessalonians, you attend to my words. He said, despise not. Don't lightly esteem. That's what it means there. Don't lightly esteem or think it a common or ordinary thing. Ah, well, so what if I did? So what if I miss the assembly, and the priest's work. You know, after all, you know, like a lot of churches, preaching is going out, and it's music, and all those things are coming in. At least that's what they call it. No, he said, don't despise my word. Don't think it's of little importance. Because God has manifested his word through preaching. And so a spiritual person examined themselves, examines themselves by the word. By the word. Notice also, he that is spiritual examines belief systems. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15 again, it says, He that is spiritual judgeth all things. So when I'm talking about belief systems, I'm talking about a spiritual person will examine and try and help those that have wrong beliefs. 
Yo, John, in 1 John 4, 1 says this, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. So don't believe everything you hear that is spiritual, because there's a lot of false spirituality out there. All that glitters is not gold. You know, 1 Corinthians 14, 32 says, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You know, they still had prophets foretelling in until the scriptures were completed. You know, there, were, there was a prophet, Agabus, who talked about a dearth that was going to come on Jerusalem. Remember in Acts chapter, uh, what is Acts chapter 8? I think it's Acts chapter 8 or Acts chapter 9. Uh, you know, so there were still prophets. There was, Agabus was also the guy that said that, that, uh, they were gonna, that he took Paul's girdle and bound himself with it, and so they're gonna bind this man at Jerusalem. So he was foretelling something was gonna happen still. But he said that, Paul said this, the spirit or the teachings of the prophets have to be subject to the prophets. In other words, anything that I say has to be in agreement with the rest of this book. If a prophet comes along and contradicts this book, you need to reject that prophet. Turn him off. Because he's not a prophet of truth. Needs to be in harmony with the words of God. Isaiah 8.20 To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this world, it is because there is no light in <clears throat> my wife was in a dentist office some time ago. The dentist is Mormon. And I began a conversation with him. And he's a very nice man to talk to. And he was talking about some things that they believe. And I said, well, the Bible says if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light. And I also said, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, if, if for anything to be truth, it has to be in agreement with all the prophets. And some of your revelations that, you're, that you say you're getting from the Book of Mormon don't agree with the Bible. Therefore, they are false, according to the Bible. You can't believe that the Bible is an inspired word of God and then say that this also is truth. It can't be. It can't be both. So if anyone comes along with a new revelation, again, turn them off. Turn them off. In fact, the Bible has some very serious warnings about that in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22, verses 16 through 19. Well, for sake of time, I'll just read verses 18 and 19, where it says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Now, if I understand prophecy correctly, that means that if any man adds to this book, he's a lost man. Because to him is going to be added the plagues that are written in this book. And the plagues that are written in this book, God is pouring out on the unregenerate world. 
Verse 19 says, If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Again, I think if you're, you're, if you're taking away from the words of this book, then it's also saying, you know, what's, what, part, what part is in the book of life? And my name written there in the book of life, that's where my name's written. If your name's not written in the book of life, if it's been blotted out, that's because you're a lost person. So again, if anyone comes along with a new revelation, we need to examine, examine and judge people's belief system or what they are trusting in by the Word of God. And we see example after example after example of this in the Bible. For example, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And Jesus begins to examine Nicodemus concerning his beliefs. You know, he, he didn't, you know, I remember Brother uh, uh, Andy Bishop teaching on that in Sunday school one last time I was here. I was thinking, and he said, you know, Jesus is so blunt with him. You know, he, he, you know, Nicodemus says, the master, we know that thou art a teacher that come from God. For no man can do those miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus just simply says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's like, whoa. That was blunt. He was straightforward to him. Kind of reminds me of the lady that said, you know, she was a Lutheran, and uh, my father-in-law asked her if she was saved, and she said that was offensive, because every good Lutheran is saved. She thought she was, but she wasn't. But that was offensive. See, Jesus is challenging Nicodemus concerning his Jewish beliefs, and he's pointing out to him, unless you're born again, you're, in other words, what you're trusting in is not right. It's not true. It's not going to get you to heaven. It's not going to get you righteousness in the sight of God. In John chapter 4, he's challenging the Samaritans concerning their beliefs. You know, the Samaritan woman said, well, the Jews say, but, you know, this is Jacob's well, and you know, and she's providing herself in the history of Jacob. And and of course, Jesus said, "Except you, except you, uh, drink of the water that I give you, you have no life in you." You know, and, and this is the pattern throughout you know the Book of Acts. And again, you know, we need to have the right attitude and the right uh, manners in doing this. But if you look at chapter fourteen of the Book of Acts, Paul is. Paul is challenging or examining these people's belief systems and, and telling them the truth uh, by telling them the truth. If you notice in uh, book, uh, Acts six or Acts fourteen verse six, uh, they're at Lystra, and verse seven says there they preached the, the gospel. And there sat a man, certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him perceived that he had faith to be healed says a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of the Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. They called Barnabas, Jupiter, and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before the city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates, and would have done the sacrifice. 
with the people. Which when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of they rent their clothes and ran among them, crying out, saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, which in time past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness, and with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. He says, look, you need to turn from these vanities and turn to the true God. Chapter 17 at Athens. They had an inscription to the unknown God. And Paul said, I'm going to declare that unknown God to you, the one you don't know. And he preached of Christ and the resurrection and disputed with the philosophers and so on and so forth. And told them that in, in, in verse 30, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. No, you need to repent of your false belief system. You in Acts chapter 19. By the word of God, he examines some disciples of John. He said, Do you have the Spirit? Have you received the Holy Ghost? And they said, we've not so much as heard of the Holy Ghost. That there be one. And he said unto them, verse 3, Under what then were you baptized? And they said, Under John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ. In other words, they were trusting in John. And their baptism, they weren't trusting in the one who John pointed to. They weren't trusting in Jesus Christ. Somebody had given them a false gospel. They'd given them some truth, but not the whole truth. And they had embraced what they heard, but they hadn't received all that because they hadn't been told. And so he said, that should you believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. So again, you know, a, a spiritual person e- examines belief systems. You know, there are many false ideas out there in the world. But a spiritual person just doesn't say, well, you know, they go to church. So they must believe the truth. There's lots of places that call themselves churches that are nothing more than dens of iniquity. Dens of deception. The devil himself is, is an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11 tells us. And there are more churches deceiving more people in this world than there are bars condemning people to hell. So he says, believe not every spirit. A spiritual man judges all that. He examines it by the word of God. Is this the truth? Thirdly, a spiritual person examines their circumstances or their environment and the relationships they seek, people, or whether it be at work. Again, he that is spiritual judgeth all things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. 
Bible says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful to me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now, in Genesis chapter 13, we're told about Abraham and Lot going their separate ways. Both these men were very industrious, I believe. They, you know, they, their cattle increased, and so there was contention between Lot's herdmen and Abraham's herdmen, and so Abraham said, let's, let's not allow this. Let's, let's separate. You go one way. You know, if you want this part of the land, I'll take this part of the land. So let's separate so there's no, no, no strife between us. You know, Lot was a saved man. And so they went their separate ways. And, you know, I never really thought about this before, but I was thinking about it today. Of course, Lot chose the plain where Sodom was. Sodom was in that area. But the Bible doesn't ever say that Abraham never did any business with people of Sodom. They had cattle. These men had cattle. So they were raising animals. Probably, you know, most of the reason why people raise animals and if they have a lot of cattle, they're not going to eat them all themselves. They sell them. So I'm just imagining and why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't Abraham you know, sell his cattle to anybody that wanted to buy him? So I'm sure that some of his cattle probably went to Sodom. Which, there'd be nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. However, he did not choose to live near there. And this is the difference between Abraham and Lot. See, Abraham examined the circumstances and the environment and his work and people relationships in light of God's word. You know, we have to have associate with people in this world to certain do business with them, whether lost or saved. Nothing wrong with that. But you're either going to limit your association or it's going to determine your doctrine and practice. You know, Abraham chose not to live there. He wouldn't want his servants becoming friends with the servants in Sodom. Or Isaac becoming friends with the children in Sodom. See, selling his cattle there was one thing. But moving close to there is a whole other ballgame. Because with moving close to there brings other things into your life. So, you know, some people say, well, kids need friends. I've often said, do they? What can a 12-year-old teach a 12-year-old? Not much. Now, Friends are good, but not at the sacrifice of their souls, of your children. You see, we have to examine what or how much association is wise to have with any place or any people. You know, we do have to live in this world. But how much of the world are we going to allow into our lives? That's the question. And a spiritual person is constantly examining that. 
you know, all things are lawful. It was lawful for Lot to move and pitch his tent towards Sodom, but it brought him under the power of Saul. It was not expedient. In other words, it was not helpful for his relationship with the Lord, and it cost him his family. So a, a spiritual person like Abraham would say, I'm not living near there. I might sell my cattle there, but I'm not living there. I'm not pitching my tent toward there. He kept his distance for the sake of his house. Where Lot thought he could pitch his tent there and then later dwell in there and enrich himself. And I don't know what he thought. I guess he thought he could live there and not affect him and his family. But it affected him and his whole household. In Proverbs, Proverbs has a lot to say about this. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, it says, My son, as sinners entice thee, consent thou not. In chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, Enter not into the path of the wicked. Go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. For they sleep not except they have done mischief and their sleep is taken away unless they cause, notice, cause some to fall. The world loves to corrupt other people they judge better than themselves because it justifies their sin. It justifies their sin. It soothes their conscience. You know, if they can get you to curse, it soothes their conscience. Abraham did not enter into the path of the wicked. He avoided it. He didn't consent to their sin. In fact, he wouldn't even take anything from them that was not his. Remember when Lot was taken captive by the kings? The other kings came and defeated Sodom and Gomorrah and, and the cities around them and they took Lot captive. And, and Abraham heard about it and he, he armed his servants, 300 and, I think it was 318 of them, and they... They, they went by night and they captured all and, and brought it all back and delivered all of it, even delivered the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom, and, you know, and they took much spoil, and the king of Sodom said, you can just have it all. And Abraham said, no, I will not take a shoe latchet from you lest you say, thou hast made me rich. No, I will only take what's You see, he didn't want to be closely associated with Sodom. Proverbs 13, Proverbs 13, 20 and 21 says, He that walketh with wise men should be wise, but companion of fools shall be destroyed. You know, Abraham really stayed to himself, walked with the Lord, Lot chose to be a companion of fools and was destroyed. Verse 21 says, Evil pursueth sinners, but to the righteous good shall be repaid. You think I thought about that. Evil pursueth sinners. Lot pursued a path of compromise, a path of sin, and the consequences of his choices were evil, bad, suffering, destruction. It followed him all his life. 
if you choose, if you choose to sin against the Lord, evil is going to follow you all your life. Sort of like, you know, some of you, Daniel likes to watch Alias Smith and Jones. You know, the two most famous bank robbers in the history of the West. But they never killed anyone. You know, and everybody loved them except the banks. And the banks put a bounty on their heads, dead or alive, whether $20,000 each or $10,000 each. You know, it's all in the movies, of course. So the governor's offering an amnesty to criminals. So they go seeking this amnesty. But the governor won't give it to them because they're the most notorious bank robbers in the history of the West unless they earn it. And so they got, and there's no period of time given them. They're just supposed to be clean for a certain period of time. And so they have to continue to run from city to city. And it just seems like evil pursues them everywhere they go. They can't get away with it. Why? Because they've lived a sinful life. No, the spiritual man, he examines the circumstances, the environment around him, the relationships he seeks, the people that he works with. You know, is this going to bring me into bondage? Is this going to corrupt me? You know, we should be careful not to bring ourselves into relationship with people or work that would cause us to be drawn away from our relationship with the Lord and from His church. A good Bible-believing church. You know, be careful what you set your heart on. Somebody said this, quote, It wasn't Lot's choice that led to his heart astray. His heart was already astray, and it was demonstrated by his choice. Unquote. See, he had his heart set on the wealth of Sodom. I could get some of that. And he did. He gained the world. But he lost his family in the process. And he lost what he gained in the process. See, we must examine everything. We must judge all things by the light of God's word. You know, this is you know, the world is very judgmental, but they don't want to submit to themselves to the judgment of God. And they don't understand. They, can, well, I cannot, they cannot receive. I mentioned this morning about this lesbian who calls herself a preacher's kid. Her dad was an uh, Episcopal priest. And she describes herself as faithfully skeptical Christian. And she says, I definitely struggle with a lot of doubt. Where's all that come from? God's not the author of confusion. God's not the author of that. And this is what she said. This is from Way of Life, Friday Church News Notes, February 19th of this year. She says, uh, whether or not you have been burned by purity culture or toxic masculinity that's been enforced and by rigid church teachings, and whether you're a member of the LBGTQ plus community and told you you are not valuable 
and you do not deserve the same dignity as other people, we are speaking up for ourselves. Unquote. Now, did you ever say that somebody that's into homosexuality is not valuable in the sight of God? Does God say that in his word? My Bible says that we're all made in the image of God. It also says that God so loved the world. So does God see, does God say that they are not valuable? Or they don't deserve the dignity of other human beings? Yeah, we're all, again, we're all made in the image of God. But they have chosen, they have chosen to mar that image. This is being judgmental. This is perverted judgment. You know, Paul used the word of God and some of these places in at Corinth he went and he witnessed to and he challenged homosexuals concerning their beliefs. And some of them were willing to repent and receive the truth. In other words, they were willing to examine themselves not by what people said about them, but by what the Creator of heaven and earth said about them. You see, you and I need to be people that are spiritual that will judge all things, not by our own standard or by man's standard, but by the Lord's standard. There's one other verse I want to leave you with. Jude. In verse 19. This used to bother me when people say, you're judgmental or you're so dogmatic. You know, that used to kind of bother me. It doesn't bother me anymore. Jude verse 18 and 19 says this, How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. So these are they who separate themselves. In other words, they that are departing from the truth they are departing from the truth, and Jude says they're sensual. In other words, they're following their flesh and the lust of their flesh. They're not willing to examine themselves or judge themselves by the Word of God. But one day they will have to. One day we're all going to stand before God, and we are going to be judged. How much better it would be if this young lady would judge herself now than to face the judgment of Almighty God when she stands before Him. Might the Lord help us to be spiritual, to judge all things. Don't be afraid of being criticized for judging things. You know, we need to be willing to judge ourselves. That's most important. But if we're going to help people, 
We have to make judgments. But we need to make and judge righteous judgment. We need to judge. Let the Word of God do the judging. We're not the judge. God's Word is. And we need to use it to show people the truth. And sometimes that means showing them the error of their way. So might the Lord help us to be people of judgment. Let's pray.